Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast. My name is Chad. This week, Dan, Adrian, and I sit down with Tyler Kelly. Tyler Kelly is the COO of Evoke Advisors. It's an independent investment advisory firm. As you'll hear in this conversation, Tyler is an incredibly fascinating human being. He has a history full of achievement and leadership opportunities and lessons to be learned from all of those leadership opportunities. I can't wait to share this conversation with you. So without further delay, I give you Tyler Kelly. Hey, Tyler, it's so good to have you. To get us started, do you mind just giving us some background, maybe some history, just generally introducing yourself? So I was born and raised in Sacramento, California, um, predominantly in a single parent household with my mom and went to private school my whole life, went to Jesuit high school um, and in Sacramento was you know, involved in athletics, got reasonable grades and found myself um, in college down at USC. Uh, at USC, I think is where I started to understand that um, being so working hard and getting good grades uh and just being really helpful can get you pretty far so you know and and luck i think factored into it but you know as of my freshman year i remember i got into an honor society which then led me to getting into a leadership class which led me getting a job in the president's office and these things kind of all um they just kept compounding um and the culmination was i got an internship at goldman sachs investment banking group my sophomore summer and, and most of the, actually I was the only sophomore. I think everybody else was a junior going into their senior year. And that was a result of me um, working the president's office and meeting who was then the vice chair of Goldman Sachs. And she took an interest in me and let me apply for the internship. And so that's kind of where I think I started seeing that just kind of keeping your head down, working hard and being just nice and helpful kind of goes a long way and getting good grades, obviously. Um, that ended up, I did that for about a year and a half. And then in that leadership class I was in, one of the senior class members suggested to me that I should run for student body president, of which I did. And that was kind of interesting because like, if you think about a, a university in some ways, it's like a microcosm of, of society or a city. And in fact, you know, I mean, we had, you know, there's 15,000 undergrads, right? So it's not inconsequential, but you have all your different interest groups. And it really, I think, taught me how to work with very different types of people you know, I was in a fraternity and, you know, that's a very kind of singular focus group of people. Um, but, in, but in this campaign, you know, I got to work with everybody on campus um, and it was great. And so we ended up winning by what was then the largest margin uh, in the history of student body. It was kind of interesting, too, because there were groups like the College Republicans. I know that were feeding people money and putting up fake signs about us. And so <laughs> I got the, the dark side of all these things, too. Um, but that was kind of my, my first step into leadership. And, you know, we had a, a staff of call it a hundred and people get paid real money. And it was, you know, it was great from that vantage point, but from my vantage point, um, I got to learn a little bit about leadership and building an organization, what that looks like. So that was a, that was kind of a game changing opportunity for me. And that just led itself to just opportunity after opportunity, after opportunity. And one of the deans wanted to nominate me for what was called, um, the loose, the Henry R. Loose scholarship, which is a, it's a kind of like a Rhodes or Marshall and they pick, uh, 18 Americans to go to Asia every year and act as quasi ambassadors, but with a long-term goal of building 
you know, American Asian relations. And so um, after the nomination, I went through the interview process, which was, you know, pretty, pretty rigorous. Um, and I remember um, Ambassador Ulrich Haynes sent me a letter to my fraternity. I got the letter from him telling me that I had gotten the award before I got it from the Luce Foundation, congratulating me. Um, and that sent me to uh, Jakarta, Indonesia for a year. So I had an offer at Goldman Sachs for investment banking, and I, I deferred that offer for a year, of which they were happy to. I think for them, they like, you know, they, they certainly value kind of well-rounded, you know, yeah. experienced folks. Um, and so um, that summer, I went to University of Madison, Wisconsin, where they had an immersive, immersive Indonesian um, studies uh, program. So I learned how to speak Indonesian fluently before I went there. And then uh, we had a big training program at Princeton. Next thing you know, we're, we're, we're in Asia. And, and my, um, my placement was in Jakarta. And Jakarta is, was very wild. We were the first group, there are three of us, the first group of loose scholars in Indonesia for a very long time, because that was kind of right after uh, the Suharto regime had gotten thrown out of power. And there was just a lot of violence and you know, a lot of Chinese specifically targeted violence and issues. So they didn't want to send anybody there. Um, so this ends up being what I would say the most interesting year of my life uh, and really what exposed me to what's out there in the world. So traveling, getting to know people, um, culture and all these things. Cause I traveled a lot before, but not anywhere that wild. Um, Indonesia, I could probably talk about for days, but just quick cliff notes. The work I was doing was entry market strategy work. So I was interviewing CEOs of businesses and then consulting with them on why um, they should potentially do business in Indonesia. And a lot of it was around corruption. So a lot of our recommendations were positive because we wanted people doing business. And if they did business in Indonesia, then obviously you could keep them on as a consulting client. But in some cases, that just couldn't happen. So I flew around the country um, interviewing these folks and it ended up being a pretty interesting job. But I think what was most interesting you know, just like school, you learn more outside the classroom than you do in. I think it's the same in a professional, you know, work experience perspective. Sure. Um, within like my second week, um, I joined this. I, I didn't know what to do. You know, I had, they, you have really nice, um, it's different than other fellowships. I mean, they give you really nice accommodations, like way nicer than I thought I would ever have at age, you know, 21, 22. And so I used part of my stipend to join like a really, really nice gym there. And at the gym, um, there's a group of guys there who had approached me who went to school in the U.S. And they were asking me what I was doing there, et cetera. And then they invited me out one night and I kind of slowly uncovered who these folks were and where, you know, their families, you know, played a role in the history books in Indonesia. But I got exposed to really interesting things. Um, I mean, you know, flying to I can remember like there's one guy who had a relationship with, you know, Four Seasons in Bali. I probably went there, you know, 12 different weekends. I ended up dating a princess from Sulawesi and end up on billboards through one. Like you do. Yeah. All these crazy things happened to me. And, it, and I, I didn't really seek any of them. Um, and I ended up also being the only bule or, you know, as they saw, they call it kind of white guy in the group. So when I would go out to these clubs and places, you know, I would stick out like a sore thumb, but it was also kind of nice because they, they really sort of embraced me. I would have family dinners at their houses um, and look, it's a different world. It's very unfamiliar for me. You know, one friend in particular, you know, he had like a stretched bulletproof BMW with a Copasus, which is their elite forces bodyguard. And this is all really new for me. I was very young. And so I just had opportunity after opportunity um, in Indonesia to kind of see the whole country. Um, and th that was fantastic. And while I was doing that, the other loose scholars are all over Asia. 
So, you know, we would go to Mongolia for two weeks and then, you know, the countries they told us not to go to a couple of countries of which we ended up going to, it was like in Burma and Cambodia at the time, but kind of basically got to travel all over Asia. So, um, that was, that was that year, but I think I kind of, why it's important for me to spend a little time there is I think that kind of framed everything afterwards. Like that was just so impactful for me from, from seeing wildlife, you know, getting out in the jungle, meeting people, different cultures, different people. Um, it really exposed me to a lot. And I'll never forget my final presentation was in Bali and most of my colleagues, friends are pretty academic in their presentation. And I said, in five minutes, I said, here's what I did in my entry market strategy job, but here's what I was really doing. And I showed photos and I did all, you know, all the kind of storytelling. And the then head of the foundation came up to me and he's like, I've never seen a presentation like that. And it was just because I think he was kind of just blown away at all the kind of different places and things that sort of, you know, one can get into in these countries. Um, I think he's also happy to see that I was safe and still, still standing after all of it. <laughs> yeah. so that that's Indonesia. Um, I actually flew, di- you know, d- directly after that to New York to start my, um, my job at Goldman Sachs investment banking. Um, I did training uh, that summer. Um, after training, I came to LA. I was on a Monday, the Friday before uh, my training was at windows of the world at the world trade center. And Tuesday, the second day of my job, uh, was 9-11. So <clears throat> interesting, you know, time. Uh, and that created, I think, a lot of issues for the firm and trying to think about what to do with employees. You know, obviously there were layoffs. And so I kind of was immediately exposed to the challenges of running a business, right? Like not everything was rosy and it, and it wasn't easy. Um, and there was a lot of friction around. So, um, I did that for a couple of years. Uh, and I think it was a great, just a great training ground for me. And I think for anybody, and, you know, I, I mentored, you know, younger folks often. And, and one of the things that I say to them about those types of jobs specifically is it's a great foundational job because it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not narrow. So you're not stuck in a vertical forever. It's rather a foundation that can allow you to do, I think almost anything, frankly, because the skill set that you learn. So I did learn I didn't like investment banking. I didn't like the transactional nature of it. Um, I had some great stories. You know, I got some, obviously, some great experience. And I think, you know, a lot of those uh, classmates of mine, you know, still are, are great friends. And that ultimately took me to um, a firm called Bell Air Investment Advisors. And, and again, you know, we go back to like that whole luck versus skill conversation. Am I the smartest guy in the room? Definitely not. Um, I put a lot of heart and soul into what I do. Uh, and I've gotten lucky. And so... And, and, and one of the areas that I think I've, I did a really good job when I was younger is I had a lot of mentors and I was very transparent about what I was expecting in that relationship. So look, I don't know where I'm going in my life. I know you've had a wildly successful career. I'd like to have coffee with you once a quarter and just kind of pick your brain. And what that led to was the former head of the banking office called me one day and said, look, I, I think I have an opportunity for you. And so I went to Bel Air and it's a, it's a wealth management firm and I knew nothing about the space. I went in in a very innocuous role. And by the way, now I'm probably 25, maybe 26. <laughs> and lived a little was, bit of life by this time. I lived a bit of life. 
Yes. I was living very, uh, very full weekends too at that point in time. So, <laughs> yeah. Why don't you double click on that? Why don't you define for us? Parents are listening. Please, please mute this. Turn this down for the children. Just kidding. Just kidding. I can define one thing just because it's a, kind of a funny anecdote, but um, at that time in my life, you know, you kind of burn it really hard on the weekends and we went out really late, like until the morning. And I got a call and this is like rule number one, never pick up a call early in the morning. If you've been out and there was a staffer in San Francisco saying we have this huge merger that's happening. We need you in the office in like an hour. So um, the good news was at that stage of my life, I could weather that storm and I ended up sleeping in the office, I think for four nights after that. Um, but uh, okay. So getting, so getting back on track, um, there were two co-COOs at the time and what the firm was trying to do was reacquire its equity uh, from the parent company. And so my job, but the company wasn't necessarily designed like a real business, right? A lot of these organizations are very sales forward. And so the idea was before we, before we reacquired that equity, cause they had sold the business, um, do as much structurally as you can. So that after it's reacquired, then you basically have a business that's just humming, right? And so with that came just kind of blocking and tackling and putting all the systems in place necessary. And that's everything from, you know, performance evaluations, reviews to technology, to higher compensating salespeople, to marketing materials. I mean, like it covered the gamut, like every single piece of the organization. And so that took a couple of years. And then um, I don't know what happened, but we, we ended up getting the equity back from the parent company. So we, were, we, we owned, we owned hundred percent of the business again. And you know, the, the senior partner at the time said, you know, we want you to be our COO and we want you to, um, we want to give you equity in the company. Uh, and then the other two co-COOs kind of just, they went to different places. They were no longer with the firm. So, you know, here I am now, I think I'm 27. And then I had a 15 year run there, um, but it had a lot of chapters. So when was that sort of buying the equity back? And then after we built it, and I think we built a, a pretty capable, um, and strong organization. Uh, so as you see, you know, Adrian, you're talking about kind of the equity stack and dilution and structure in, in a lot of these privately held companies, like we didn't need to raise money. We own hundred percent of our equity. If you have big generational gaps, you sometimes need to clear the decks because they have very different agendas and motivations. And some people, maybe the younger guys want to make some money. They've never made any money. The older ones, they want, they want too much for their equity internally. So maybe realistically, you can actually never, transfer that. So it kind of got to one of those places where I think internally, some folks maybe didn't want to, didn't want to pay a huge number for internal equity, because remember, it's not only illiquid, but it's a services business. So, you know, your assets go up and down the elevator every day. So for me, at least, is that, is that something I'm going to buy? Probably not. Would I buy at a tremendous discount? Maybe. So I think it was in everybody's best interest that we sell. And it came at a time when there were really high valuations around our business. And we'll talk about this again later today. Um, but we decided as a partnership to sell, so we hired an investment bank, sold the company, sold it to a, um, a Montreal-based French-Canadian. Uh, they're really an asset manager, not a wealth manager. And that kind of dragged on for, call it five years. I would say those are some of the most challenging years of my career. Um, I'd like to say I learned a lot. I don't know if I learned a lot. I think I just realize that if things look uh, challenging and or dysfunctional, that sometimes, you know, you got to be a little bit more honest with yourself and kind of move, just move and understand things that can change and not change. So um, kind of weather that storm. And then uh, ultimately, 
there were a group of um, friends and colleagues of mine who decided that we wanted to get back to kind of a very, so I'd say, A, not have a parent company, um, B, be independent, but C, be more transparent in sort of the business model and, and then skew a little bit more research, investment, sophistication kind of on that side. And so um, we decided to leave. And so we left, we joined some other great partners. Um, the firm's called Evoke Advisors. That's where I am now. We, we manage close to $25 billion for wealthy families, individuals, and institutions. And I think we have a wonderful investment platform in our, you know, my partners skew probably on average 15 to 25 years younger. So definitely a much younger group. You know, a lot of, a lot of the partners, you know, my partners are closer to my age. Um, so that's what I've been doing. We've been putting this together for a year and a half. Uh, it's, we just have a dream team here. And, you know, I enjoy coming to work every day. And there's a lot of building to do, um, but there's just a lot of growth. So it's kind of like you're just trying to keep things, keep things floating. Um, that's kind of the, the professional side, you know, on the personal side. Um, I've kind of always been involved in some nonprofit related activity or activities. Opened the first charter school in Carson. Uh, I used to have a big interest in education. And then I, you know, it, it, it's hard to, it, it's hard to effectively support educational institutions in the state of California just because of some political factors. So I kind of moved on from that and then um, was involved with Conservation International and creating their next gen group and um, just a lot of kind of interesting conservation stuff. You know, where that's led me today was um, I first served as a, as a, as a county commissioner, um, which it, the, it was a county commission on local government services, which had, basically looked at operating, operating efficiencies within the 88 cities uh, in LA County. And so my peers on that were more like mayors and, you know, real politicians. I was kind of like the, the non-politician guy. So I did that for a few years. I thought it was kind of neat. They, um, they elected me uh, chair of that, which, which was neat. And the guy who um, didn't get it quit immediately, he'd been doing it for 10 or 15 years. I didn't even ask for it. Somebody just nominated me, I think, because they were just kind of tired of it. That was an interesting experience, but not a lot to be gained. You know, it's just kind of a slow moving political entity. And then um, I resigned from that. And then not that long after I helped a, a friend of mine with his election for mayor. And then he had appointed me to, he was going to put me on a, I think a, what I would call define as a more serious commission. And I know that I, I learned the hard way. Like, I mean, I can tell you when I was on that County commission, you just have people showing up at your doorstep and it's, if you're going to build a family, it's just, it's uncomfortable, right? And those can be lobbyists. Those can be people that don't like something you did. And it just, I don't think that the return profile is there for me personally. So um, he ended up asking me because he knew about the conservation work I did to be a commissioner of the zoo, the LA zoo. And so there are five of us. Uh, I did that for a while, moved to Manhattan beach. And when you move to Manhattan beach, you don't live in LA city anymore. So I stepped off that. And now I sit on what's called um, the greater Los Angeles zoo association. It's like the private funding board. I chair a big gala every year. That's a lot of fun for me because, you know, what we haven't gotten to yet is the two most important things in my life, my two daughters, uh, Grace and Ava, ages six and four. And that's where, you know, that's my biggest allocation of time. It's my also the place, you know, that I derive the most kind of pleasure, fun, excitement. Um, so I take them there all the time. And then the other board that I still sit on is the Wrigley Institute for Environmental Studies, which is the Marine Research Facility out back by two harbors in Catalina. Um, and that's just great because it's, it's a local and it's, it's in a marine protected area. I get to meet some of the most interesting kind of scientists and, you know, thought leaders in that world. 
um, as a result of it. And, and the board is also just really cool. So I think I shifted from like back when I was younger doing things that I thought people would think were interesting or cool or for whatever their kind of outward facing reason. And now the two things that I'm deeply involved with, I, I do exclusively because I actually have an interest in them. Um, they're places I want to go and they're, you know, they do directly intersect with, you know, the interests of my girls. So that was one of my questions. Thanks for laying that out. There's so, much, there's so much there. Um, one of my questions that I was running through my head, especially early on in your story and your history is like, if you can remember what motivated your leadership at a young age, like why, why did you want to run for student body president? What, you know, all of these opportunities obviously came to you because you had put yourself in positions, you had made relationships, all of that kind of stuff. I'm just interested to know, like for you, what motivated your leadership in that stage of life? I think others did. I don't think I did. I think, you know, I, like I was presented with opportunities that I wouldn't have thought of on my own candidly. And this kind of, I see, I've seen this theme afterwards where people will remember me or come to me with an opportunity. And then I take it really seriously. Um, and so I think it works different for me. You know, a lot, a lot of people are just like driven to go accomplish something and do something. I think that happened a little bit later in my life. I created another organization that I, I didn't get into in LA where, you know, had a bunch of big prominent speakers come and it was a great networking thing. I think that was later in my life, but I think early on it was just, I never thought these opportunities, look, I'm a small town kid from Sacramento. It never occurred to me that these opportunities could present themselves, that mm. I would be in the room with these people. And so when I was presented with them, I just got really, really thoughtful um, and took a leap and, and tried. And, and most of the time things worked. Yeah. What? What? And, it, and it's like, um, you know, part of that, part of that answer is cute. And meaning like, you know, I, I, I love it. I love the answer. And it's the part of the mystery that most, like, a, lot, a lot of people might've gotten opportunities like that, but didn't make what you made of it. Right. So I want to like click on, you know, you, you said it kind of really in passing. Oh, it's just because you're a severe guy. Like Tyler Kelly is a severe guy. He's going to take <laughs> life seriously. Right. And which is beautiful, which is part of why we're close friends. Um, and you know, it's, even I've seen so many people that I've given opportunities to, you know, from a mentor perspective, and they just don't, they don't show up for them, you know, and you, even if it was like a surprise um, that you got there, which probably wasn't, you know, you, maybe you didn't plan it, but you were present for it. Might be a better way of saying it. Like once it was there, you were like, holy shit, I'm, I'm going to, let me, let me slow down and be thoughtful about this and make the most of it. Most people don't do that step and then blame the circumstances for why it didn't work out. Yeah. And you're, you're a guy that optimizes whatever you're doing. I mean, the four of us just got off a bachelor party and talk about optimizing, you know, three days in Anchorage, Alaska. You know, we got to see that in hypercolor, um, <laughs> um, which is great. Feels like a dream now. He earned the yeah. of cruise director. <laughs> yeah. It's an important title. I'm going to add that to the resume. I'm telling you. Well, it's cruise director slash field general. I mean, both. Field it's general. like That's cruise really director, true. but it's not like, but you know, it's also like, hey, let's go. You know, it's like, let's make it's the most of this. Let's go. You're, you're definitely no. going to be involved. I was like, I was focused the whole time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So anyway, I just want to like, um, as we talk about here about leadership principles, and especially for young people that might be listening to this, like there's there was something hidden in Tyler's answer that I didn't want to get missed is like, he showed up for the opportunity that even he didn't create. He, mm -hmm. he showed up like he created it. 
Yeah, I, and that's, I, that's not to be missed. Well, I, and I think you actually did create it by Amen. such an invitation. I mean, you're like you said, the way you framed it was, uh, I, I think it was nice and because it's more than nice. It was nice. You said nice and thoughtful or, or you basically care about what you're doing. So you're going to show up on people's radar as, hey, this guy's serious. We, we ought to, we ought to, you ought to try this, right? So in a way, in a very um, intentional, but you know, like it's the intention is I'm here to make a difference. And, and then the things open up and then you can choose which way you're going. But, but I was impressed with just, and I know you and love you very much. And, and just the way you engage is yeah. it, it captured my wife. It captures uh, my daughter. You met my daughter one day and oh, who is that guy, right? You leave that, that impression that this, you're a serious citizen and you're somebody worth listening to and connecting with. And I think that your life is, that the legacy is already laid into your life quite deeply. Mm. We, I mean, you're, you're, we call you the greatest dad we ever met, right, in our family, because you, you, you're just so intentional with, with both your kids, and you recognize their individuality, and I think that has, and, and you, you, you give to that, and I, I noticed that, the other thing is, I noticed, as I've known you, and you kind of accounted for this, you're starting to really get that the time is precious, so you put yourself in it, and you, and now you're intentional about really consciously intentional about what am I, is this the best use of my time? Is this the best use of my presence? And, you know, I, I'm, that's why I'm always interested in what you're doing because it's not something you just, you know, knee jerk put together. You're thinking things out. It used to be, for me, it used to be very shotgun. I kind of do anything. I'd take, say yes to every invitation. Um, I don't know what that was reflective of or, or why, because now to me, I'm the exact opposite. Um, and, and I'm totally okay saying no in a very nice way. Um, but, uh, I think that makes a big difference. Right. And then as you start to like, you know, rank your priorities, um, I think it, it helps, but I certainly was not always like that. Um, getting back to Adrian's point, you know, earlier, you talk about, you know, the, the young people who might watch this, you know, unfortunately, um, I think it is the exception, not the rule that people are responsive to opportunities. I can't tell you how many times I've sat down and people said, look, I'm happy to coach you through this. I'm happy to do this for you. I'm happy to walk you in this, by the way. And for me, it's like, I'll almost walk you to the one yard line. I'm happy to do that. I would say 90% of the time, they don't do anything. Um, and then there's a complaint when it comes to the end of the year or something about, you know, need a bigger title or more cash. And after they've had sort of direction, and that can go for people that work for me or not. Um, and I, that's, a, that's a really dramatic shift. Like, look, I know it was probably like that to some extent, you know, when I was in my 20s, but today more than ever, I mean, it's, it's really, really wild. Even when people like have an opportunity to have somebody help and mentor them, they just don't take, just don't take them up on it. So when, when I find someone who is, and they, they are very good about this, I always tell my God, like, you're going to go really far in life because what you're doing is not what everybody else is doing. Yeah. Um, mm. I've seen a, I've seen a big shift with that. And those end up being the all-stars. It's almost like clockwork every time. Those are the ones who end up succeeding. Yeah. I always call them yeah, ignitable people. You know, like folks that are going to like, you really want to be alive and, and mean, you know, even if it was like shotgun approach before, uh, you know, people didn't know you were doing 15 things in a week because you showed up in each thing as if it was the thing you were doing that week. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that's, that's not to be missed. 
on how to like generate meaning and generate for you. I mean, you're one of the best networked guys I know. Um, and you know, we have, we have a deep personal relationship and a deep professional relationship just because I send my clients to you all the time when they've got any kind of needs across the board and you're to, to make this point, as we keep talking about how awesome Tyler is, is it, this works for me is a great theme of the entire, <laughs> of the entire podcast is well, just because you've got some principles you live by that are distinct and ought to be learned from, you know, and, and, you know, you're troubled whenever even my I send a client to you and they don't utilize the resource. Like you're troubled by it. That's unique. Yeah. It's not yeah. like you're checking a box. Like, how do I get, how do I make sure I'm a good friend to Adrian? You know, you're not like that. You actually listen to them and care about them. And you're like, Oh, I, I you know, I set them up and then nothing happened. It bothers you, you know, which is like, you know, there's a, there's a shared ownership that's there that people don't, people don't, make you do you just decide to own it you decide to to you know advocate for people yeah i think it also comes along like just as like a we should all be replying to people like even if the answer is no or it's negative or you don't want a service from somebody right reply to people mm. and i just i find for me that is something i have a hard time digesting you've seen that <laughs> um but i'm also realizing as i get older it's like a lot of people just don't i mean again yeah. these are by the way these are often highly functioning people and it's, it's always peculiar, especially in the context of somebody trying to help you. Um, but that's another very simple rule of thumb. I think that, you know, if, if everybody just kind of thought about that, because that's how you can develop relationships. Um, yeah, it's, so, complete, it's completing a loop, right? It's like everybody should complete the loop. If you're not going to do it, let them know. Give them the dignity of the response. Maybe, right. work, maybe you might even learn something in that, right? And sometimes those no's lead to yeses down the road, or there is a real, you know, there's, there's something worth hanging on to. I, I have that happen all the time. You know, let's just stay in touch. You know, we never know how things evolve. Um, always leave the door open. So. Did I understand the story correct? When you ran for uh, student, student body president at USC, that some, that your comp- campaign manager came to you and asked you to run. Did, it, did no, I no, hear so, that correctly? Uh, it's kind of, it's kind of a, a crazy story. So, and by the way, the people that convinced me to run had nothing to do with, the Greek system or anything. I mean, if I, if I describe these people to you, I mean, they were like on the polar opposite end of the spectrum of me. Um, but no, they, they just approached me from the leadership class and said, you should do this. And then they said, we have the perfect running mate who, by the way, I'm going to go visit in Vermont this summer, Kat Goddard, amazing uh, RA. Um, and he put the whole thing together. And then he found a guy to help manage the campaign who did a small congressional race. Like I think it was in Iowa or something. So he, this one person, his name was Han. He just kind of put all the pieces together and we're off the races. So a pattern that I noticed in your story is people bringing opportunity to you over and over and over again, which we've been talking about and we've heard from Dan and Adrian about why they think that opportunities kept being brought to you. Why do you think opportunities kept being brought to you? Um, it's a great question. Uh, I, I think it's cause I, like I, I would always develop like meaningful relationships with people. Like if you think about the people mm-hmm. that came to be like, student body president, if you saw them relative to what I did on campus, you'd be kind of like, oh, wow, that's a very different looking group. But I still make great friendships with them. And I think that's kind of what ultimately led to it. And I do that from a place of like, I'm just kind of like a, a nice human being. Like I don't, you know, I like to get to know people. Um, I think I have a lot of friends in different types of places. So I think that's it, you know, and like even, you know, like even some of the, the mentors that I had who helped, you know, I mean, I haven't even gotten into some of the programs I was invited to, you know, it, it, like just incredible programs in my professional career to go participate in where I met these incredible people. It's all because there's some really senior guy or gal who calls me and says, I want to nominate you for something and you get into it. 
happens at, at like clockwork. And I think that's just the result of getting to actually know those people. How many teachers do you really develop a deep relationship with? How many old bosses do you develop a relationship with where you're getting invited to their family's events or whatever it is, right? Yeah. People don't think like that. And I, yeah. the low, like, I always tell young people, it's like, you have no idea the gift you have right now. You can go ask anybody, anybody for anything. And they're going to help you. Why? Because they're, they're going to want to, you can endear yourself to them, but you can only do that for a little while. Like I can't be going and doing that all the time. Right. I'm like, I'm in my mid forties. I'm kind of past that a little bit, but when you're young, like capitalize on that because people, all of you right now, you know, who, who, who are on this, like every one of us would absolutely, if there was some young person who needs mentoring or help would do that. One of, one of my best friends, I've gotten his son, two jobs, this kid, I'm not kidding you. He will check in with me every other month. He'll just even a text. How you doing? You know, just thinking about you. It's, I mean, it's wild. Another, another young kid that I invested in this, this magic stuff with, I mean, he's asking for my business guidance, like every other week. And, and those guys, like they get it, but they're the absolute exception, um, you know, to, to what I think most do. And I don't know why, because if you have that opportunity to build your own board of advisors in a way, right. You're in your twenties, you got all these people in their forties and fifties and sixties who are already Titans of industry or have done something like, why wouldn't you do that? Cause guess what? The next time you lose a job or you want to do something different, these people help you help you get there. So I think yeah. that that's, I, I, I share that example because that's, that's where my head was then. Right. Well, you're, you do that with everybody. I just, one of our large clients that you helped me with, I just asked for a little help and all of a sudden you were deep in it with me helping because I don't have the kind of background of experience that you do. And just the guidance you gave me helped me so much with that client and to bring out the most important aspects of what we were doing from a business perspective that I had no background in and really helped kind of added to my experience immediately. So, and I think the, the other side of that though, for me, right. Like, helping you, a dear friend, always going to do that. But I got to learn a lot. And I got, I mean, we were on the phone in some of the most fascinating conversations I've ever had in my life. I mean, I was giving up meetings at work because I'm like, I just want to hear more about this. It was pretty interesting. It was super interesting. You know, you don't get, and by the way, that goes for a lot of your, your respective clients. You know, and those are, it's interesting because we, we, we serve the same community in, in, a, in a way. You know, we have this huge entrepreneurial silo. And I just find that to be the most fascinating group of people really out there. Cause you know, they all do something different. Right. And you learn about business lines that you've never even heard of before. And it's just a, it's, it's a way to kind of stay, I think interesting because our day-to-day jobs, like they're all great, but you know, there's some, there's obviously repetition, you know, you're not always learning something new and having that sort of intellectual stimulation. And I think you get it when you get to work with people who are really interesting. Yeah, but I, I think you get it too because you, if you're faithful to the day to day, like faithful in those little things, yeah. giving yourself. But one of the things I wanted to ask you is, why do you suppose? Let's think about this because this doesn't occur for you. That's why I'm asking. In my mind, what do you suppose stops people from learning, like taking those opportunities when they come up? Like what? They, like they don't show up on the the grid. And so they, and if, yeah, I know if young guys are listening to this, young men and women, like that something, like how do you know when that this is something to do or what keeps you from doing it? Like from acting on something that's interesting or that somebody brings along that might be completely out of your domain. So like that, to me, that's the million dollar question because for me, I can't get my head around why somebody wouldn't want to go help somebody and or find out something new and interesting. And, and Dan, you know, it's like, it's not even like five out of 10. It's like eight or nine out of 10. Don't oh, have yeah. an interest. 
Don't reply. Don't engage. By the way, it's only by engaging that new doors open for you, right? Like if I engage or help somebody, Adrian sends me, I'm going to meet somebody new. By the way, yeah, sometimes they might not come back around. No big deal. But, you know, if they do, you know, it's just another opportunity to learn something new. And so I've never been able to understand that. I don't know if it's people are. So sometimes I've heard some people can be intimidated. Some people can be scared. They can they can think uh, maybe I'm not smart enough to jump into this. So I'll just kind of keep comfortable where I am. Um, and I can understand some of that with the younger generation. But when it's this peer to peer stuff. I, I genuinely don't get it. Or it's just complacency, right? Maybe some people are just in this middle stage of their career. And it's like, look, I've got enough money. I don't really have a lot of bandwidth and free time. And I just, you know, I'm just not interested in that. So I don't know. I've thought a lot about that because I know for me, it's exciting. I don't have, a, you know, I don't have the kind of educational background that a lot of the people I work with do, but I've gotten it through years of asking a lot of questions, failing quite a bit, taking another shot, and watching you, I was so it was so interesting. We were working with that client because we were both feeling you had a lot more experience than I was feeling my way through that thing. But I, I was really interested in the benefit, uh, the well being of the client. So it was for me important to find the best people. And if I and then I'd notice where I was off, and I'd listen really closely and then pick up the theme, right? And uh, I that, I know it was scary for me, but it was really valuable for him. He told me, he, he thanked me for bringing people in that could do what I couldn't do. Or I, I, I think there's, I think some people are scared of looking or feeling dumb. Yeah. And in, like for me, I, I view myself as a quarterback in almost any situation. I know a little about a lot. I know a lot about some categories, but you, you, you did a great job. I mean, in that scenario, it's like, hey, let me bring in somebody who can at least help me start a process of mapping into the right people. But if you recall, like we only got so far and then we brought in some real heavyweights, right? Heavyweights, heavyweights, Heavy, heavyweights. And that and was really were, interesting. That was like, then yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden, like I can take a step back. Cause like, I kind of got to my, I kind of, I kind of capped out after a couple calls. Right. And then it's like, <laughs> you bring them in, but I think maybe that's why some people don't like jumping in too, because it's like, oh, wow. Well, Dan's going to expect me to know everything about all this stuff. I don't want to look dumb. I don't want to feel dumb. You know, mm. maybe some insecurities come out, but you know, I like, Go back to the, the network, not the superficial network, but like that deep network you have. And if if you know a lot of folks who can be helpful, you just reach out to them and say, hey, I need help. And this is exactly what I'm looking for. Yeah, for um, me, it, people might be scared really, to do that. It, map, it, it really does map back to the client's well-being. Like if I care about this person, I'm going to be honest. And then I'm going to think about my network. Like who can, who could do this? Who could do what I don't know here? Like you, I think... I love when I get to the place I do. I actually love when I get to the place where I don't know, because now this is probably much bigger than I ever thought it was. And there's something in here that could be fantastic, maybe. And and the way to find that is to serve the client. Like, what is it they really want and how do we connect them? And you were such a network like that. Adrian, I mean, we were talking to Adrian in a meeting. And he goes, why don't you call Tyler on this? I go, That's a hell of an idea. <laughs> This is something that I've been emphasizing with my daughter a lot lately. She last summer, she worked for one of our friends who's just been a really successful guy in the activation entertainment uh, sector. He, he puts on these big festivals, these lantern festivals that we were talking about. And yeah. she, yeah. she, I mean, she made $6,000 in a summer as a, as a 14 year old uh, packaging these, these uh, bracelets and all this stuff and getting it sent off to him. And I talked to her and, and I tell her like, Hey, foster that relationship. Yeah. Stay close to him. He's generous. 
he's willing, um, he's successful. Not, and, and that's not the reason obviously to have a relationship with somebody, but fostering that learning to invest in him will teach her so much. And, 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 and that's something that I wish somebody, you know, I'm learning that now at like 30, 30, what am I? 38 that, that, uh, I just want relationships in my life and that's going to result. It's always going to result in something magical. That's good. That's, that's great advice that you're giving her too, because there, there's another side of that, which is that person, that entrepreneur, that successful business person gets a ton out of it. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Especially if it's the right person and you see that engagement, that's when you sort of double down and say, this is the kind of person there are some who may not, but typically speaking, that kind of young up and coming interested kid, right. Kid to kind of twenties, like th- it's like sky's the limit. Cause, cause there's on the other side that, that for us to be able to give share wisdom, right. Or advice. I mean, we all enjoy it at the end of the day. And I don't think enough people really young people understand that they, they get themselves either you know, a little bit during the headlights or I'm intimidated. I don't want to take their time. Right. You know, there's, there's a lot of things come up. So that's great that you're, you're giving that advice this early. Well, I think okay. there are a lot of people who don't want to give that time. They're just too into their own thing. No bad. But I think then people get generalized. Like somebody who's in your position gets generalized and, oh, he's too busy. You know, he's not yeah. going to want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Tyler, I'm curious. I mean, we haven't got, we haven't dove into any stories about your dadhood yet. You yeah. touched on it. Yeah. Um, but there's just like, obviously this overarching tone of, of leadership in your life and how you step into leadership and take it on. I'm wondering, are there conscious principles that guide your leadership? Like that you focus on, that you think about, that you have learned over the years that really guide how you show up both in your business, for your girls, with your friends. Um, I mean, we got to experience it this last weekend. Like what, what guides that? Um, I think just a lot of it's like just temperament and motivations. Like, you know, if you, if you can, if you're kind of the type of person for me, at least it's just, I just genuinely care about people. And so that's great because it works really well with friends. It works well with colleagues uh, and it works well with my girls. And so sort of just showing up and having that sort of optimistic perspective in life is, is great. I think another thing I've realized is like, there are certain things you can't control. So don't try to control them, especially in the work environment. And then what that's where that's led me from a leadership perspective is like, nobody here's probably ever seen me be negative or angry, like literally. And, you know, I, if there are issues that need tackling, I'm happy to have the conversation but just doing it in this sort of, you know, diplomatic way, because I think getting frustrated and angry at things doesn't benefit anybody. Um, some, some big kind of themes I'd say is being so, and, and it's kind of hard to, hard to break down. I'll, just use, I'll use the work environment for a second. Like fairness is really important, but creating, creating deep clarity in what people are doing and expected to do, and then rewarding them in a very transparent manner for the work that they did, right? and aligning everybody's interests. That for me is like, from a leadership perspective at work, that's paramount. So in this firm, I created the entire performance evaluation process. We just had our reviews. I created a profit sharing plan. So now every equity owner in the firm is literally incented the same way every employee is. Everybody is incented towards the bottom line of of the company. And the way that they get rewarded is because they've helped the firm, not in their own individual role, right? So that the sole metric by which people are rewarded is because they're helping the team. 
It's about teamwork. And that's very easily measurable. Um, they, they input it in their performance evaluation, right? And we see it. But, it was, you know, something we talked about earlier, it's really clear on how you can get compensated for that and how important teamwork is. And some people still don't do it. My goal is we had four tiers this year, right? So some people got a lot, you know, outline compensation this way, some this way. I, I would like to get to a place where everybody's rowing the same direction. It'll take a few years and everybody's getting compensated similarly. But what I like about that is they're incented towards a different type of goal. It's a firm goal. It's a team goal. It's not like their own, you know, sort of day-to-day um, role. And I just think there's a lot of mismatches sometimes in companies. Like people just aren't aligned and they aren't clear on what they do. I mean, if you have a company, if you have a company where there's a ton of anxiety at the end of the year around the review process, like that's not a good thing. People should know where they stand. You meet with them mid-year, you talk to them. I'll tell you just one anecdote. Um, one of my colleagues, he's an MD. Um, I was taking him into his review and it was me and him and a couple of managing partners. And he just struck me as very nervous. And I just looked at him. I said, you okay? He goes, Oh yeah. I just always get you know, really nervous. I said, okay, well, here's a little trick I like to do sometimes before we go into this. You're about to have a great review. And he goes, really? I go, you're going to have a great review. And it just took all, like, you could just see his weight come down. And so I did that to kind of diffuse it. And then he went in, he was just full of great suggestions and helping, but you know, it just made me aware, even somebody who you tell is an all-star every day and who had a great major review, this is something that weighs heavily on people. And you shouldn't, you know, you should, you should develop, you know, a structure where people kind of know where they stand and there's not all that anxiety. And I think, you know, there are definitely ways to do that. And so from my vantage point, I just like to create the structure that, that allows for that um, and that people sort of know where they, where they stand. As it relates to my kids, totally different leadership structure. They lead me, I don't lead them. And, and what I mean by that is, I believe my, my job as dad is to be a leader and expose them to everything possible on the planet that might be of interest to them, but not push them in any direction. So just yesterday, I'm talking to my, my oldest daughter. I coach soccer on our soccer team. We we're talking about the things she was interested in. I said, oh, did you like soccer? Eh, kind of. Do you want to do soccer again? I don't think so. Okay, cool. Like, so expose them and then let them push themselves in that direction. And then my, then, then my leadership comes in is I need to then, you know, support, I need to stand firmly behind them and make sure that I'm giving them the support they need to pursue the things that they want to so that they can be their own person down the road. Very different than I thought I might parent if you asked me 10 years ago. Yeah. It's interesting. you Cause there is a point where you as a father will, once you find what they, once they find what they love is then they get through the difficult things to stick with it, but but they've got to want they've got to have the initial I'm in right, and then right. I found then because I was very similar with my kids, they went in very different directions. And then once they got in, it was my daughter went once to me said, "I'm so glad you would argue with me about I wanted to quit and I you wouldn't let you you just didn't want me to because you knew I really loved what I was doing right, and and so I think really tuning into their what they love and then standing for it." because they're going to come up against it. The, the starting point of all that though, Dan, is getting to know what they love and spending right. the quality time with them so yep. that they're open, they're open to you. They're That's sharing right. that with you. You know, I know you had a lot of time like, you know, homeschooling and traveling and you know, you, you really got in it. Yeah. And I think that for me, that's why my focus is so deep on the time I have. Look, I have my, I'm a single dad. I've got my girls 50% of the time and I work really hard to make sure that that time is with them and that yep. I'm present and we're doing things together and that I don't have a babysitter and that, you know, I'm not outsourcing. Um, Cause I think, you know, Dan, you said the most important thing, if I can develop that relationship, then they're going to come to me for anything. 
that Great. comes on when they're older, you know, and, and if I'm not forcing them into different, you know, categories or things to do, they're going to always feel that openness. And so, um, and I learned some of that from you. I mean, I think that's, that's kind of, I, if I had a goal, my goal is it's kind of why I double down on all this time. So I, I really have that, that sort of back and forth. You'll never regret it. You'll never regret it ever. No. And I do, I do more than ever. I, I don't know what, it feels really weird. Like, I don't know. It's cause like the girls just like, they're just getting older fast. And I, yeah. I'm starting to actually see it, you know, and um, the time with them in this category is finite. Like it's not going to last forever. I mean, I, like Grace, I've got her, you know, on Thursday, she's home. Like next year, she's not going to be home on Thursday. She's going to be at school. And then pretty soon they're both going to be at school till three or they're going to have an after school program, whatever it is they want to do. And so, you know, I kind of feel like every moment, and it's a little bit probably too much pressure on myself um, sometimes, but I just want every possible moment to be there with them experiencing stuff. Uh, Cause I, you know, I miss them terribly when I'm not with them. And so the time that I have with them, I want to, I want to make it count. Yeah. Amen. That's a great place to end. I think yeah, it really is. <laughs> I don't want to add anything onto that. Tyler, this has been awesome, man. Thank you for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Really an honor to have you uh, on the podcast. I, 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 I gotta tell you, like, I loved getting to know you over the last weekend um you were just i mean your generosity your openness your transparency um your interest in me all of it everything that we've talked about in this just was my experience of you so thank you and also thank you for being that here of course nice seeing all of you again after the long weekend <laughs> good missing you guys all right all right we'll thanks back together soon thanks yep. bye-bye right. take care have a great weekend friends thank you so much for listening to yet another conversation on the naked leadership podcast your listenership and commitment to the podcast means the world to us if this podcast or these conversations has helped or inspired you in any way would you mind going to apple podcasts and leaving a five-star rating and a glowing review this helps us grow the movement and reach more leaders and teams finally the greatest compliment that you can give us is sharing the podcast with your teams and the other leaders in your life until next week bye-bye everybody Thank you.